Hi, welcome to another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. Steve's Speed Shop is brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They're in the business of pre-loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They've been at it for 35 years, and you can find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. And we're brought to you by Minisports. Anything and everything for the classic Mini since 1967. John Sykes is best known as, well, one of the main people on the planet if you're in the business of restoring a Triumph sports car through his business, TR Bits. But at his base in the northwest of England, he has one of the most eclectic collections of vehicles I have ever come across in my life. He's got race cars, he's got road cars, he's got race bikes, he's got road bikes, he's got a World War II fighter trainer, and he's got a gaggle of classic Italian motor scooters. My guest is John Sykes. Both of us, um, despite loving motorcycles, also have a very soft spot for classic Italian scooters. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I started like uh, most of us did on the fields at the back, um, we found a Capri 80 that uh, you, you can't imagine now, but uh, had rusted away like Ford Anglias and cars of the period. It was actually flexing because its tin work was rotten, but we managed to get it going, freed the piston off, and we went round Lim Dam on it and kept getting chased away. And then um, a, a BSA 175 Sunbeam scooter came along and we took all the panels off that. Good. did exactly the same. What um, an ugly machine. It, it, it is, but it's actually beautiful and ugly in the same same breath, to John, be honest with you. No, it's just ugly. All right. Why, why <laughs> did the British motorcycle manufacturers... I've got a theory about this, and I wonder if, I wonder if yours is similar or the same... Why did the British motorcycle manufacturers get scooters so badly wrong? Because they designed, or they were designed by motorcyclists. They weren't designed by people who designed shoes and trousers and jackets, which obviously Batoni and well, uh, Pinaferina. The Italians used people who designed suitcases and nice jewellery. They well, didn't, you know. We had we had old guys with pipes, didn't we? That had worked through the Second World War behind a milling machine. There's so, a fantastic bit of film footage of Corrino Descanio, who designed the original Vespa, um, chalking the design on a board, and he. He's a very energetic, uh, stocky, balding man. And he draws a stick figure very well, obviously, because he's a dis- draftsman designer. He draws a stick figure first, and then he draws a scooter around the position of a seated man. And you think, yeah, the, the person came first. As with most good design, whether it's a car, a bike, a plane, a scooter, a chair, the person comes first and and the the machine is designed to accommodate the human rather than the other way around like you might find in motorsport where you get in a car a race car on a race bike and you realize that everything's been designed to make it go fast and that your needs as a human being (laughs) like your head's banging on the roll cage and your elbows clattering the door every time you try and turn and you think all right this has been designed machine first human second i always think that the italians uh, style comes first and and that's what they're, they're very, very good at, even if the shoes don't fit properly or they rub you, but they look great. And it's the same with the cars, those early Ferraris and stuff. They, 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 they didn't work, nothing worked on them, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I mean, what um, what was it uh, Bridget Bardot said to Enzo? She, she said, my California spider, it overheats in traffic. And he said, what are you doing in traffic? You pull over and you have an aperitif. So, in other words, it doesn't matter. It's broken, but it still looks great, even though it's not even moving. I've got a good good story about that. I I was driving a Skoda Estelle. No need to look alarmed, John. (laughs) Um, Was it an eight-valve one? It was a Skoda 120L. So it was 1,200cc, rear-engined, water-cooled, with the radiator at the front of the engine at the back, yeah. obviously. And um, I'd had it for a day and, and wasn't used to its propensity to overheat alarmingly. And I'd broken down right near Gaydon, 
where the British Motor Heritage Museum is, and um, propped up the engine lid at the back while clouds, vast gaseous clouds, were emitted from the rear of this uh, communist car. Two blokes wandered over, and they said, uh, one of them said, Hello, we are Czech. And I went, Oh, so you, you'll know the Skoda. And he said, Yes, of course. You are having Skoda picnic? Because I got deciding that I was going to have to decide whether this thing was going to proceed and that I had at least 20 minutes, half an hour before I knew what was going on or I could touch anything. Because I opened the engine, I couldn't touch anything because everything was red hot, obviously. And they said, Oh, yes, I won't do the voice anymore because it's, uh, it's a bit rubbish and slightly racist. And they said, oh, yeah, this used to happen all the time. In fact, when he said, when I was a kid, we always used to take wine and bread and cheese and sausage with us because <laughs> <laughs> the car would overheat and my father would say, time for a score to picnic. And they'd all get out <laughs> of the car and have something to eat and drink and wait until the damn thing uh, was able to proceed again. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Italians took the same view, didn't they? But you looked good in the lay-by, didn't you? That was the difference, you know. And it, everything they ever did. Do you know it, what? It, it looked the part, even even if it was broken. I'm not sure about that, John. I think if you if you look at when I was the editor of Scooter Magazine back in the day, we had a archive of old magazines and old black and white photos that had been... I think the company had acquired them from another company that acquired them. We were like the fourth or fifth owner of this big archive of motorcycle and scooter uh, pictures and information and all that sort of stuff. And I remember being really taken by these old photographs of guys who, just after the war went round the world on Vesper and Lambretta scooters. There'd be a black-and-white photograph of some wiry-haired Italian guy literally in the Congo with pygmies with a Lambretta A model or B model sort of tied down to a raft crossing some river or something like that. If you leave the things alone and you maintain them properly, they are reliable, but the problem is... We wouldn't leave them alone, would we? No, 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 because you want a little bit more, don't you? You know, and I suppose the, the you always, every street had one guy, didn't he? And he always had a big Perspex fly screen and he used it to go back and two to work with every day, didn't he? And that went for year after year, didn't it? Never bothered. But the minute, you know, teenagers got hold of them, the side panels came off, make it make a bit more noise, make it go a bit quicker. And as you say, it lasts about two minutes, doesn't it? Put a dirty 30, 30 <laughs> mil Del Auto Carbretta <laughs> on a Lambretta 200. And it goes faster for about... Ten oh, seconds. Half an hour. Yeah. And then you realise what a hot spot on a piston is all about. Yeah. When you take it apart and go... It's melted. What's going on? What, why has this happened? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first thing that you had on the road, John, after the going over the fields on... Uh, first that, thing that I had on the road stuff. was a Honda PC50, because it was now 1974, and um, you... To, uh, cycling, on my 16th birthday... Uh, I said I'd never, ever walk anywhere again or cycle anywhere again, and I'm 62 this year, and I've managed to keep that up so far. <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if, if I've managed to petrol-power myself all the way around the world, and, 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 you know, so I don't walk anywhere, I don't cycle anywhere. It's I've managed to keep it up. Uh, so Honda PC50, I then blew the engine up in that, and I found a Norman... Hold on. A Norman... Hold no, on. No, no, I did. I managed to... It dropped a valve. How would you blow up a Honda? It's impossible. It's a, no, it isn't. I, I, I've done it. And, <laughs> and, and uh, because it's overhead valve, um, it, uh, it, it it dropped a valve stem. So not having any money, because uh, I was only earning £2 a week fixing flymos um, as a Saturday job, because I'm still at school, um, there was a Norman Nippy that we'd had on the fields, which had a two-speed gearbox, two-stroke. And um, anyway, I'd, this was on the Sunday, it dropped the valve. By Sunday evening, I'd got the Norman Nippy engine in there. I just had to rig up the um, hand control, like on a Vespa or a Lambretta scooter, to actually get second gear, but I hadn't time to do that. So I ended up pulling the cable past limb down to try and get back up the secondary modern at the other side of limb, which is where I went to school. But anyway, that evening on the Monday night, I fixed it. So, yeah. Yeah, then it was a Norman Nippy-powered uh, Honda 50, which I then chopped because I went to see the film Easy Rider. <laughs> so I, I, extended, I extended the forks 12-inch. I had 12-inch overs on a Honda 50 with a 
uh, a Norman Nippy engine in it at this John, point. John, you've just done it. You have you have just described the most ridiculous machine that I've ever heard of, and I've heard of some ridiculous machines. A Norman Nippy engined Honda Fifty Chopper. Correct. <laughs> But, you know, needs must, and I'd seen the film, and that was the future. Hold on. So. How did you extend the forks? Because I, I had a similar notion about chopping a Lambretta. And I'll yes, tell you how it's I... it's quite difficult to do with those rocking beams on the front, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, yeah. I'll tell you... Well, I'll tell you how I extended the forks. Now, I just put solid slabs. I just cut the forks, fork legs, because, of course, it's just a... It's like a wishbone, isn't it? It it's, is. Yeah, it's yeah. a hollow wishbone cut them and we just welded in solid bits of barley twisted metal that's it that was the way to do it um, well no not if you wanted to live because <laughs> obviously it, it it made the thing deadly basically it won't go around corners it won't go in a straight line what it would do was wander drunkenly all over the road in an, <laughs> in an un- it looked pretty cool on the stand i thought but yes. as soon as you started to ride it now this 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 road all right actually I'd got the rake right and and uh, oh we didn't work out stuff like that no no we I, found out about rake and trail no, I later read, I was subscribing to um, uh, I suppose the the first pornographic magazine you could buy which was Easy Rider which was the American magazine um, which. Uh, the news agents had, but of course it had uh, scantily dressed ladies, top shelf tackle, t- uh, 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 <laughs> astride Harley knuckleheads and panets, and and this magazine had everything. So of course I read about rake and trail. So and being uh, of an engineering family, uh, I'd worked that out. So no, I got it to handle all right. The problem was that I remember coming past uh, uh, Lim Church uh, down towards the dam, and I hadn't quite got the front brake right, and there was the first um, traffic car I'd ever seen, and it was a... Um, we should a, say that a traffic car is basically a police patrol car. Correct. The well, man. The man, the heat. So this is the... the, the, the our local Bobby had a, uh, a blue Morris Minor with white doors... <laughs> Anyway, this one uh, was a Marina TC. It was well, a, twi- I that. a TC. It was a twin car, but painted white now. So effectively, the same engine that was in an MGB GT. Correct. Yeah. So, so now we've got the fastest thing on the planet, which is 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 the policeman and his assistant uh, just at the top of the dam there, in in the, the state of the art white. Now we're not talking blue; we're talking white with the, a, an orange stripe round it. And somebody obviously said, "Well, it looks like a jam sandwich, doesn't it?" Yeah. And the rest is history. So this is the first one I've seen. Anyway, I come popping past on my two-stroke pop, pop, pop down the dam with my extended forks, and um, he, uh, he he his head turns round and he does a double take and, uh, anyway, he fires it up, rams it in front of me with the stop sign on and I can't stop. <laughs> so I actually end up in his boot lid. Oh, no! So he's he's quite cheesed off with me at this time. So he said, Well, why did he do that? Well, exactly. He said, you were struggling with that, son, wasn't it? I said, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't until you pulled out in front of me. <laughs> that was probably not the thing to say, John. No. So anyway, he'd, um, he'd got his flat cap on, and at those times, the Scottish police were the only people with a checkerboard round their cap, if you remember. But the new traffic guys now, had, obviously with Z cars, had started to do the same, the Cheshire police. So we should we should mention that Z cars was... We're men of a certain age, John, and, and not everybody will know this. Z Cars was a phenomenally popular, long-running British TV show um, in which the Z Cars were the titular Ford Zephyrs and Zodiacs that the police Pursuit cars, we'd, you'd call them now, weren't they? Yeah. And their job was chasing the baddie Jags, the Jaguar Mark IIs. Well, my grandfather... Every, every bank robber had one. Well, my grandfather, John Moore, was a senior traffic policeman at the time. Right. And he thought the Fords were rubbish. Mm. Um, so he, he used his Riley. He had a supercharged Riley, which he used for pursuit. And as he said to me, if they robbed a bank in Manchester and they got to Preston, that was the Badlands and you'd lost them. He said, so you had to catch him. And he said, that was the days, of course, when you were slightly handicapped by the fact that because this was Britain, you had to go to stores and sign for your gun. <laughs> <laughs> they say, yeah. oh, there's been a bank robbery. I better pop down to stores and get a gun. Yes. <laughs> Could you sign for your gun, Mr Moore? Certainly. Yes, yeah. Can I have some bullets as well? Yes. You'll have to sign for those as well. Yes. OK. Yeah. 
while they were heading north in Mark II Jags. I mean, like you said, by the time when the Mark II Jag came out, and every every British movie that involved villainy of that time yeah. had the Mark II Jag. The bad boys were in Mark IIs. They were. And when the police only had Z cars, Ford Zephyrs and Zodiacs as, as the competition, they had no chance of catching them. No, no. No. So what happened with this policeman? Did oh, he confiscate so, your bike or no, what? No, no, he, he, he basically said, where do you live? And I lived a mile away towards Warrington, the other side of him there. And uh, so he said, right, he said, push it to your house. So you can imagine I'm then pushing this bike uh, to um, our house. And when I get outside our house, the police car's there with it with its flashing light on and the shame of it. You just know, because in those days, you know, there's a police car outside your house. Your mum and dad are not happy, are they? It's not good. <laughs> yeah, um, but the problem was your mum and dad might think something had happened to you. Well, no, he, he was chatting to me dad. On All the right. Front, on, on, <laughs> he's chatting to me dad on the front step. Anyway, long story short... He um, he basically uh, he asked me, uh, Dad. He said I want him to saw it in half because it wasn't fit. So my dad said he shouted at me, uh, you know, to to take it down the back there because um, in those days uh, the police would have a word with your parents and your parents would deal with you. They did. There was no paperwork needed. It was like job done. He thought he he you know he'd removed this unfit animal off the road, so his job was done. <laughs> and to be fair, he probably was right. But you know, as a sixteen-year-old, it's it, it kind of so. But it may you know these things make you stronger. So of course I went away and then I bought a Triumph Thunderbird off my pal in school in bits uh, and I chopped that. So by the time I was seventeen, I had a. a, a the BSA Bantam passed me test on that as quickly as I could. So you were like the Peter Fonda of the Cheshire Correct. Plain. Correct. So, <laughs> so yeah. And um, did it suit being shot the the Triumph Thunderbird? Perfect. It was it's the best bike I've ever had. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I went all over on that everywhere. It never let me down once. Magneto. I mean, I had to ride home. We know lights a lot of times, but you can do that, can't you? You know, and uh, or you could in those days. Probably not so much now. And uh, so, did you fancy yourself as? As part of a marauding gang of uh, yes. one percenters, yeah, like you might yes. have read about in Easy Riders, or was this a strictly solo operation? No, 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 no. This because people you, you tend to hang together, don't you, with uh, birds of a feather, like-minded like 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 fellow travellers, fellow travellers. So you know uh, there were various pubs at the time, the Stamford Arms, which I later spent three years working behind the barn running that, but uh, the Black Dog. Um, uh, at Witten Albion, Northwich, uh, the Letters Inn at Tattersall near Chester. Um, Everybody went, there was bike bus, and that's what we did on a Friday night, and then we'd ride to another one on Saturday night. And, and, you know, we didn't drink a lot in those days because you you, you couldn't, you would would almost get pulled up. I got used, I I think the record was three times in one week. I used to carry me, me, uh, you used to get a thing called, and you're old enough to remember, Steve, the Norwich Union Rider Policy. The Rider Policy, that was pounds. It was £5. And you could ride your, yours or your mate's bike, or anything for that matter. In fact, if it had wheels, you were you were legal. So as a teenager, that was you you, you get out. So with my Norwich Junior Rider policy and my, my paper driving license, I'd get pulled up. Uh, three times a week because you know in those days you've got long hair you've got a chopper and and the police were on every street corner i would have pulled you over if you I would have done place. you would have done yeah and what um, was he called because i'll tell you what you, where i was in in bury sort of small town to the north of manchester and john's in a small town to the south west of manchester um kennedy pc kennedy he was notorious. Yes, I mean, yeah. there's generations of lads from that part of, of town who will get together over a pint and they go, I was coming home one night and I saw the <laughs> light come on and I go, Kennedy. They go, yeah, Kennedy. <laughs> but he was just, he was zealous. He was just on his... Doing oh, his I, job. Think, I think we've we, we've we've gone backwards so far because those guys like the the have ridden across America a lot and um, done lots of miles and the, they know their town, they know their people, and and they find out you know uh, sat in a uh, behind a computer screen these days you're not going to learn anything, but being in 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 different pubs, in farms, in places you get because people talk to you and I think that's what those old boys were very good at at networking. Well, and think, they, think, so that so that they policed it and they controlled it because they knew who they were dealing with. I think the difference, John, is that having, like yourself, spent quite a bit of time riding and driving in North America, the police of the UK police by consent, 
the police in the States, please don't take this the wrong way, Canadian forward slash American friends, police by fear. People are afraid of the police in, in North America. Correct. And, and they've also been afraid of my attitude towards the police when we get pulled over if I'm driving because I talk to them like I talk to a bobby. Yeah. With with a degree of respect, but I'm not I'm certainly not afraid of him or think you know, especially if I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. Which a lot of the time, you know, that whole thing over there where it's like, ooh, that car's got out of state state license plates, and you think, well, so what? You know, I drove from Vancouver to Palm Springs in a twenty five year old BMW E thirty four five two five. Got pulled over, like you said, got pulled over four times on the journey on the way down. And it was ju- most of it was just, where are you going? I've never been pulled over in the UK by a policeman who said, where are you going? If he did, I'd say, right, I want your number. What do you mean pulling me over and asking me where I'm going? This is Britain, for goodness sake. <laughs> we'll edit this bit out because it, it makes us sound <laughs> anti-American. And we're not. The last thing we are is anti-American. No, I love the place and I love Americans as well. I prefer Canadians. Canadians are like half Brit, half American. They are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with Americans. I love America. I've spent lots of time there and, and you know, it's a great place. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was there about two years ago and I bought uh, a V12 Jag because I'd never owned... E-type, v- E-type or coupe? No, the the, um, the Sov, the, uh, oh, the, yeah. the four-door. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think... I might have got past my sports car phase, John. I don't... When I look at the cars that I want to own now, they've mostly got more than two doors. You know, I look... I think... Right, are, you, are you looking at slippers in the back of the Daily um, Telegraph now? The <laughs> in the back, the, Elasticated. The large, the large slipper where you can put both feet in. Elasticated. <laughs> elasticated waisted trousers. Yes. Ba- baths that you can walk into and then shut a door behind you. That's right. Not yeah. quite, but I think as you get older, those... You're going to go home now and get settled, are you? Those... <laughs> I, I'll continue. I'll ignore this uh, this constant uh, volley of abuse that's coming across the across the studio at me. Um, I think I suit those kind of cars now, whereas a younger man, I didn't. Yeah. No, I agree I mean? with you. No, the, the, the problem now is... I mean, if, I, I'll tell you what I want next, and I've not had one. I'm looking for a Bentley Turbo R. Yeah. Now, I think if you're 40-plus... You look right in a Bentley Turbo R. No, you're absolutely you're right. 25, you look ridiculous driving one of them. I've always fancied a Ferrari 360 because the, the, I've had Dinos all my life and, and it's the modern version of a Dino, 2460. And a friend of my son's, my son's in the uh, classic car game, he works for H&H, the auction house, and um, other auction houses are available. But um, not as good as H&H, no, obviously. Uh, and uh, anyway, his pal there had got one and uh, he lent it me one day and the wife and I trundled down the, the equivalent of Route 66, which is the A49, down to... Um, Tarpley, and um, uh, we had a meal, and um, Alice and the wife was bouncing away on the passenger seat because the suspension was so stiff, it was hard work, and it was buzzing away like a a, a, a two-stroke uh, with a narrow power band. Uh, it was hard work, and we got there, and we pulled into the car park of the pub, and there's all these people looking at us because it's Sunday dinner time, and they're turning away because they don't want to give us the pleasure of, 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 of enjoying the pose of getting out of this car. That's a very British thing, isn't it? It is a very British thing, but there is a reason why I'm coming to that, was that, anyway, we came back and uh, came back up the A49 and she said, look at me, and, and literally she was moving in the seat. The ride was that hard, it was never in the right gear, it was f- fizzing away, it was fussy. I parked it and, uh, anyway, he said, what do you think on the Monday you know, thinking I'd maybe want to buy it. I said, you know what? It's not for me, mate. Mm. No, it's I've outgrown it. It's not mm. for me. Uh, you know, I learned from the body language of those people in the in the pub car park that you know you're not fooling anybody. You're an old man. You know, you're not fooling anybody. Bit harsh, it, John. It is no, but <laughs> I came out of it and the ride was harsh. And I actually thought, you know, my teeth were clenching driving it. And I thought, I'm not enjoying this, but. We're not saying it's not a great car. No, no, it isn't a great car, but it would have been a great car 30 years ago to me 30 years ago, to the me 30 years ago, to the 61-and-a-half-year-old me. It didn't tick the box anymore now. So having wanted one, do you know what? I gave the man the keys back. My son's got a Bentley GT. 
I drove that. We went on holiday in that. Everybody that thought we were great when we got to the hotel. These are proper old people. These are all right. All the rest of it. We enjoyed the ride, and I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I've grown into the Bentley, whereas I would have want killed for. I could have tasted that Ferrari thirty years ago. Whereas now I don't want it because it's not me anymore. I've gone. I've moved on. And and so you're absolutely right. So did you do a few years just on two wheels before you got a car? Yes, as everybody should, Steve, as everybody should. (laughs) A man after my own heart. Yeah, at least three years you should do an apprenticeship on two wheels. I did it for about four. It was my everyday transport. Yeah, but so many guys of our generation did that, didn't they? But aren't you a better driver as a result of it? Well, I don't know. Because you treat everybody as a complete idiot... Because we've been proved right so many times when we've been on our bikes, haven't yeah. we? Well, I so still... you just mistrust every move, every person, every junction. I still got knocked off just before Christmas. <sighs> Five cracked ribs and readmitted on Boxing Day. <sighs> but, um, you know, the guy just said he didn't see me. And I, I actually said to him, even though I was sitting on the curb at the side of the road, I said, well, shall I get a bigger bike? BMW 1200, yes. £630 dry, <laughs> massive motorcycle. I said, shall I get a bigger bike? <laughs> <laughs> actually said it. I think he thought, oh, is he going to hit me? But I, I wasn't. I, I, I got it. He was a nice guy. He was in a hurry. He took a chance. He didn't look properly, and he nearly damn well killed me. Yeah. That's the problem. And that's... But that, you know, that is why everybody should ride a motorbike, because they would take a different view, as we do, and we pull out. We, we just... You've got eyes in the back of your head, haven't you? And I think you never lose that. It's an apprenticeship out there. But anyway... So... You got a car, what was it? I got a car, started to restore it, I got a frog-eyed Sprite. We had a frog-eyed Sprite order on last week. Yeah, so it was a frog-eyed Sprite, I paid £60 for it from the man who owned the boatyard on the Bridgewater Canal. So uh, I towed it back with my uncle Eric on a length of rope and and the only thing that worked was the handbrake. So, um, and we put the, as everybody did in those days, a piece of cardboard with on tow in the back (laughs) window. Do you remember that? That made it legal, It made it legal, yes. And the other one, of course, was the tax in post on a brown piece of uh, paper, wasn't it, with the date? Yeah. Uh, the label off a bottle of Newcastle Brown Ale. No, I never did that. That was... Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so then it was a frog-eyed Sprite. Um, so we should we should explain the frog-eyed Sprite. I mean, Junkyard Tommy we had on last week is 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 a man for the Sprite. He runs one as a daily driver to this day. Can you imagine good. that, John? Yeah, I can, yeah. I think they're a great little car. Yeah, but getting in and out of them now, back to the thing we were talking about a second ago, we wouldn't get in and out of it now. And looks that only a mother could love. Yes, that's it, yeah. Distinctive, I think, would be a good Well, we've got a dog, we've got pug dogs, and they're the same. So, you know, the frog guy is the pug of the uh, car world, isn't it? You know, it's cute and small. So, inevitably, I think uh, a frog guy on a good day is about 45 horsepower. On a a good day. On a good day. Yeah, yeah. It's twin carbs. Yeah, inevitably, you would have thought, right, I'm going to make this thing faster. What did you do? Uh, the thing that we all thought would make it faster, a Pico exhaust, which we, <laughs> which we now know that if, you put, if, you, if I'd had it dynoed at the time, would have, would have probably lost three, three brake horsepower. Um, the other thing I got as well, which, again, people of a certain age can remember, was, was I had some um, uh, uh, Dunlop groundhogs, uh, which uh, were uh, and the advert was great at the time because and everyone wanted the stickers because this animal this ground dog it was I remember great, that yeah but they were rubbish tires they were cross plies so you know this thing that was supposed to be the best tire on the planet was that was was the tail end of the cross ply hey John it's all about perception it is never mind the reality so it's about how it makes you feel but the advertising so I had Dunlop ground dogs on it and um, and my Pico exhaust and. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, it sounded... I, I sounded, though, as though I was going quicker, but, of course, that's what people did on scooters and motorbikes as well, wasn't it? The first thing you did was it had to make more noise. And I I get... Um, I, I still laugh now when I see kids on these twist and goes and, you know, they've sawn the exhaust off and they've made it go about five mile an hour slower. Slower, yeah. yeah. But, you know, in their heads, you know what, they yeah. I drove to London to buy an Abarth exhaust. And I, I know I'm mentioning this again and people will take issue with it. Abarth made parts for the Mini. They did. Yes, they right? did. Yeah, yeah. Because people go, no, they never made parts. Yes, they did. Yeah. And I drove all the way from London so that I could have something different. I could have an Abarth or Abarth exhaust on my Mini because everybody else had Pico. 
Yeah. Out of Street Machine magazine or custom car. Did you buy those back in the day? I did, yeah. Everyone did. Everybody did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah because, you know, there was nothing online. You, you know, that's what you did. Your magazines were... But uh, yeah, which is the one that had the scantily clad ladies? Was that cus- that was custom car? car custom that would car, have been yeah. that would have uh, been car and car conversions was for people with rally cars, wasn't it? You know, yeah, there were no there were no scantily clad no, ladies no, in there. No, no. Everyone had a bobble hat on. No, no, that was <laughs> readers' problems, wasn't it? You know, you know, <laughs> so, how long did the sprite stick around for? The sprite stuck around until I screwed my first E-Type Jaguar together, which I bought in TCHS in Whaley Bridge for £650. Wow. And I went into Barclays Bank. Do you remember them, Steve, banks? Yeah, they, they used to have them in British towns and cities. They did, didn't they, on street corners? It was, they yeah. were popular places to deposit and withdraw money. Yeah. I wonder what happened to them. So I went in, and I had been a biker at the time. I had long hair and a gringo moustache. Not a good look, but I thought so at the time. So I, put, I did what Ogre used to do in the magazine, which is uh, I put my tie on, and I went to see the, 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 uh, the bank manager, the Barclays Bank, and I sat in front of him and I said, he said, uh, yeah, can I sit down? Because it was like having an interview, wasn't it? it was, he went in, yeah. and, but, so I put long hair, but with a tie and a scruffy shirt and jeans. So uh, I went in and I said, I, um, I want to, uh, I'd like to borrow 650 pounds please and he Oof. said and he said um what would you like to do with that and i said i'd like to buy an e-type jaguar and he said why why would you want to do that i said well because i think it's going to be an investment and he, he chuffed and he went ho, 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 i don't think so sonny. <laughs> <laughs> and i just hope he's listening to this now yeah but john yeah, and, and john hold on a second yeah i've got all my granddad's old copies of motor and car magazine and the bookshelves that he had built. To, he had bookshelves made People to accommodate did. them, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you look in the classifieds in those, you see adverts that say, Aston Martin DB5, good condition, 2,000 or best offer. That's it. E-type Jag, no visible rust, it'll say in brackets. Yes. Yeah. 500 quid. Yeah. At one point, these cars were just old cars. They were, but the 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 tide was turning, and uh, for me it was no Ledman's because uh, again, you know, we all used to listen to Radio One, didn't we, in those days? And he was asked. Somebody said to him, uh, "You're a clever fella. If you had a thousand pounds, what would you do with it?" And I can remember clearly him saying, "Go and buy an E-Type Jaguar mm. like that." And that's back in the sort of mid seventies. So even then, you know, people knew that this 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 thing was going to be I iconic one day but i had a bank manager who didn't agree with me so anyway long story short my dad who banked there as well uh, he trusted him he said well i think it's a bad idea he said but i'll lend you the money just but your dad will have to guarantor it so my dad in those days your dad could guarantor you that was a rite of passage wasn't <laughs> it, it was. again yeah we, we, we i think almost all british men of a certain age or at least the ones that i know there may have been some sort of uh, nerdy bookish types who, who who never had that situation where you had to persuade your mother and father or your legal guardian, whoever that might be, to guarantor some sort of loan on oh, some deal. sort of... <laughs> yeah, on some sort of ridiculous motor vehicle. That's right. And yeah. you had to... I remember having to get my mum and dad to sign for my Vespa T5125 that I got brand new. The only thing I've... The only motor vehicle I've ever bought brand new in my entire life... Uh, and getting my mum, persuading my mum and dad, and it was the very first one in the UK, and it had the little, the oblong headlight and the cut-off back end. It was quite distinctive looking, and um, a real departure for Vespa because they'd been very sort of curvaceous up until then, and this thing was really angular, Square, yeah. squared off, and as a consequence, you know, stylish. And I remember having to talk them round. It, it took a while. <laughs> they didn't just go, yeah, yeah, fine, we'll sign for it, no problem. It was weeks and weeks of, and I'll be able to, I'll be able to work further away, and I'll be able to get a better job and all that That's sort it. of stuff. That's uh, it. Yeah, with me, it was I was never allowed a motorbike. They were great, thanks, mum and dad. Yeah, they were. They were. I was never allowed a motorbike, and the only way I could. Um, because uh, there were some before the, uh, obviously the ones on the fields, um, uh, the only way I could get it past my mum and dad, because they were dangerous things, motorbikes, and lots of people got killed on them, um, was that by trading. And what, what I did was, because I started to buy and sell them, 
that then they saw that as a business opportunity uh-huh. and they thought, oh, well, we'll let this, you know, of course, I'm not going to ride them, mum and dad, I'm just going to buy them and do them up and then sell them. And, and so they encouraged the business element of it, not realising that when my dad went to the pub at eight o'clock, I'd push it out while mum was watching the two channels that were on telly. <laughs> and I'd, uh, I'd wrap a scarf round my head at, at 15 years old and ride, are we allowed to say things like this now? It's too, anyway. So it's then, a bit late for you to yes, be pulled for that now, it is, Yeah, so then, of course, I would push it down and, and you know, ride off to uh, the sort of the back lanes on, on stuff like that. So I did get to ride them, and, and then I did get to sell them at a profit, and sort of, and I've done that ever since throughout my life, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I've always bought fixer-uppers, and, 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 you know, when that's done, and, you know, so mum and dad are still alive, and, and uh, my dad's still playing with cars now, and, you know, we're still doing it, sort of thing. So it's always been there. So they were right to do that, but... So that E-Type that costs £650... Yeah, in T-Chess. In T-Chess? Yes. Well, I doubt the chassis was in T-Chess. No, no, the tub was, because it's a monocoque, as you know, so the back half of it was a tub and uh, we got it on a trailer and uh, those engines are very heavy. You know, it took about four of us to move it, the engine and box. The guy had stripped it in Whaley Bridge. What was missing? Come on. Uh, there was What was missing... Because um, when they say, yeah, when no, people right. say, yeah, it's, it's all here, no, it's, it's all not. there. No, it's not. It, <laughs> it never is. is. It never, never is. is. Um, the glasses off the headlamps were missing and they turned up in the Manchester Evening News because somebody had got them on a fibreglass front of a Spitfire. In those days, you could buy a, a Spitfire, like a fibreglass tilt front like you did with minis if they were on. And this particular one had E-type covered headlamps. Anyway, the guy said, I've got the lenses and chromes. So I remember driving in my dad's minivan to go and pick these two headlamp glasses up that, you know, at the time were a fiver each or something, which was Ooh. a lot of money. You know, but... <laughs> What colour was it? It was black, but black. it was originally a red one. Yeah, black. it was black, but it was originally a red That's one. That's you, you, you greasy biker, wanting yeah, to yeah. paint an E-type Jaguar No, 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 black. I bought it black. It was, it was red. There's a fella not far from here. He's passed on, uh, sadly, now. He's a great bloke, Richard Cream. And he was... Um, he sold. He was in the Schmotter business, as as he would have said. He was from a nice Jewish boy from Manchester, from North Manchester, my my part of town. And uh, his father, Jack, had been a celebrity tailor in the sixties and seventies, and made clothes for the likes of George Best and Jimmy Tarbuck and people like that. Yeah. And he said to me, "My dad, Steve, he decided because he talked like that, Richard. I won't do. I won't do any more of the voice. He decided to buy." A pinky type jag and park it outside his shop as a publicity stunt. And I said, Pink? And he went, Yeah. He said, And do you know what? And Richard was at the time the second tallest man in Britain. He was seven foot five, Richard. And he's poking me in the chest. Like a seven foot five man. He said, And do you know what, Steve? He bought it that colour from the factory. Heather Pink, it was called. Exactly, John. Yeah. And he said, And do you know what colour the, the leather was? The leather seats? Pink, yeah, they were. This. And yeah. every time he said pink, he prodded me, and I was like, "Richard, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Please stop prodding me." You know, at least yeah. giant man. But so I looked it up, and I thought, "He can't. They can't have been. You can't have been able to no, get pink." That was absolutely right. But it was only in the V12s, so it would have been a Series Three. They didn't do it in the Series Ones and Twos, so it was a. It would have been a V12. But he would have got in that being tall because they were six inches longer in the cab than the six-cylinder cars. There was something great about that era, I think, from. From the Mini up to mm, when things start... when it, It's funny because I'm going to say from the Mini to when everything starts to be front-wheel drive. And, of course, the Mini was front-wheel drive, but the Mini was front-wheel drive in, in a different way, I think. That sounds crazy, but I think people know what I mean. So when did cars start getting a bit dull, do you think, Joe? 75 which was the end of the E-Type. Well, when the TR set, I mean, I'm a TR specialist. That's what I've, I've earned my living for 40 years. And for me, you know, when the TR7 came out, that was the death knell, wasn't it? And the Scimitar SS, whatever it was, you remember that little horrible thing we stepped <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you're reliant, <laughs> reliant and sports car in the same sentence. It's just... How you know, dare you? But anyway, I'm the I I've only recently sold my SE5 and I've still got an No, S- no, an SE5 is fine. It was the little two-seater sports car they did. SE5 was great, you know. I've still Princess got Margaret had one everybody it, it was a great car. No, it was the SS what did they call it? The SS The SS1. SS1. And you could get it with a uh, a Nissan 1800 
engine, or I think you could get a cross-floor Ford 1600 in it. But... Back to what we were saying, 76, 77. I've gone off you. (laughs) I I quite like those little reliance. (laughs) No, but that's when you you could see, and it was Ralph Nader and his stuff in America, the Triumph Stag had done it with the T-bar, hadn't it? Because they said, you know, you can't have things that roll over and crush people's heads. So the TR7 had to come along with, um, you know, braced windscreen frame and stuff like that. And... um, you know, I think that's when it all got really dull, didn't it? Up until that point, you ask anybody, you could recognise a car from 400 yards away just by its shape, a Ford, a BMC, couldn't you? Every car, a Jaguar, you could tell. as a it came Citroen. To, as it, Citroen, as it came a to... A Fiat. A Fiat, as it comes towards you, you. You could tell what it was. Now everything's just a big homogenous thing isn't it you know they're all they're all you know you couldn't tell anything what comes towards you now you'd have to be sat next to it i'm not i think the tr7 was the best-selling car it was it outsold the tr2 3 4 4a 5 and 6 totally all all put together by a long margin yet everybody said oh that's where triumph went downhill well certainly not as as from a sales point of view that was not the not the problem yeah but this is the problem with a certain kind of car journalism that exists and I think my former friend and colleague, Mr Jeremy Clarkson, may be partially responsible, but I think I think he does it in a knowing way. I think, well, I don't think. I know that Jeremy knows exactly what he's doing all the time, all the time, which is why he's never been busted for anything. He's, he's frequently been in hot water, but he's never actually been brought to book on, on anything. But... He says stuff about the TR7, knowing that if Triumph or we're in British Leyland period with the TR7, aren't we? Yeah. If that car hadn't been a bit such a big sales success, um, they would have been knackered. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I have to say, um, although the TR7 may not be our favourite uh, British sports car by any stretch of the imagination, what about Tony Pond in a TR8? Oh, Come yes, on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. he, well, was he, a, made it, he made them sexy, didn't he? He was, they, they, a, yeah. he was a demon on tarmac in that thing, wasn't he? No, he he, he did. Uh, and, and the same with the Dolomite Sprint, didn't he, of course? And Jerry Marshall and the Dolomite Sprint, they, they you know, they those guys made them sexy. Didn't they were they? cool. They were cool. So they were... And, um, a lot of racing drivers were geeks, weren't they? Yes. They were geeky. They just... When they were being interviewed, they couldn't speak and they had no charisma and they just wanted to talk about the technical stuff but jerry marshall tony pond they were charismatic they were larger than life they were funny yeah they had you know they had personality like barry sheen or james hunt except in saloon cars yeah yeah no no and i think you know for joe public and it it must be the same i'm not into football it must be the same if you're into your football and things with people like um uh, you know, Bobby Charlton and, and the sort of our era of uh, George Best and stuff, they were characters, weren't they? It, on and off the pitch, and same with the racing drivers on, on the circuit or off, they were they were larger than life, weren't they? You know, and I think that that, that shows, doesn't it? You know, when you when you see the way they drive and the way they play, you know, they See, I'm with you. I I look at the modern motoring landscape and I see things that interest me. Um but because it's almost become too easy to extract phenomenal performance from an internal combustion engine or from an electric motor, I'm kind of I keep going further back to look for things that are interesting and different. You know, today, 200 horsepower is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. But I remember the first car that I owned with 150 brake horsepower. And let me tell you something, I was impressed, and so were all my mates. Yep. So the E-Type, how much did you sell it for? I sold it for, let me think, I got £1,500 for it. Well, that's, yeah, so you'd proved your point, hadn't I you? I had, yeah. To your dad and to the bank manager, Yes. it was a good deal. Yeah, well, better than that, the the guy uh, knocked on the door. Actually, I'd sold it. Now, now I'm thinking I've got to think about this now because I actually had sold it. And what happened was, I ended up uh, on the Thursday. So the chap knocked on the door, 
uh, where the my bike got cut up on the main road in Lim. So the, the chap knocked on the door uh, in, in a gas man's uniform and uh, from the gas board. You remember them, the gas yeah. board? Yeah. When they were called the gas board, yeah. not not what I, was it? I, and I work for them. <laughs> what are they called now? Oh, I don't know. No, today, I've got a clue. <laughs> anyway, uh, he knocked on the door and he said, um, "The E-type, it, it's yours." And I said, "Yes, yeah." And uh, he said, "Is it for sale?" I said, "Well, I think I've just sold it." He said, "Oh, oh, um, I'd like to. Uh, uh, would you do a swap?" I said, "What have you got?" He said, "Oh, it's another Jaguar." And uh, I said, "Well, what is it?" He said, um, "It's an XK150." Wow. So I, my ears prick up at this point, and uh, I said, well, yeah, sure. I said I'd be interested in that, and um, because they were fetching more at the time than the E-Type was anyway. And he said, um, it's a good car, he said, there's no rust, it's silver. He said, um, I've just been given it um, by a lady um, in Darsbury, and he said, because I was in the uh, d- changing the gas meter... Um, it's in the garage there, and it's in Lewis Carroll. You remember him? He wrote the uh, Alice in Wonderland. Well, it was the vicarage at Darsbury, which is where Lewis Carroll's father was. Right, because he was his real name was Charles Dodgson, and he was a vicar, wasn't he? He was Lewis Carroll. Well, well, he was. He was. He was in the vicarage. This car. Wow. And so the gas man had gone in to change the thing, and this XK was sat there. So anyway. Uh, he, she, the lady had said, he said, oh, I like me old cars. So she said, well, uh, would you like it? And what? Said, yeah. so, <laughs> anyway, so he's I don't me, know if that's legal, John. He's told me. He's told there, me might, there might be a legal issue here to deal with. <laughs> so he, 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 we're having this conversation, and, and this is before phones and now where you have you, you've got a photograph on your phone. So he's yeah. describing it to me. He says, the tyres are flat. He says, but I've bought some tyres. But he said, the only ones I can get are taxi tyres. So, because it's 16-inch wheels, E-Type right. was on 15s, that was on 16s, and the only things in those days were FX4 taxis running around on cross-ply 16-inch. So he says, I bought four new tyres. So, uh, long story short, I uh, I said, yeah, I'm up for a deal like that. And But he's going down the drive, he turns, looks over his shoulder at me, and he says, oh, th- there is something wrong. And I said, oh, here we go, we're like, what's that? <laughs> he, said, um, he said, the hood's a bit tatty round the back. So, yes, get in. It's got a hood, so it's a drop head. It's not right. a fixed head. Yeah. So straight away now the deal is definitely happening. I yeah. haven't even seen it, but the fact it's a drop head, not a... So, anyway, we go and get it. I get it back and we do a straight swap. No money uh, 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 changes hands. Um And, uh, anyway, I get this thing back. And uh, it has two batteries, uh, one in each wing... Uh, and they're six volt, like an MGB has, and mm. they travel. Anyway, these these big Xide batteries, and uh, I undo the tops, and I just get tap water, and I fill tap water in it. This thing's not moved since the sixties, so I get tap water in the in the batteries, rock it back into, free it off with some oil down the bores, make sure it's turning over. Anyway, I, I, my dad's got one of those big Krypton battery chargers that looks something out of a, a you know nineteen twenty spaceship, like forty eight volt job, and, yeah, something and, like and that, and big and big knobs that go clack 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 right. you know and as it goes up 10 amps at a time you know you could you could run a small african country on it you know so <laughs> so so i've got the battery in there and it's boiling away and popping and banging these batteries so i anyway, leave them overnight and, and i think well what's the worst that can happen and i put them back on uh, it could set on fire and burn it, to the it, ground it doesn't matter <laughs> it, 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 you know it, they've cost nothing anyway i'll lumber them back in and anyway i turn the ignition on and uh, nothing happens, and I turn it on, and slowly but surely, somebody starts to talk to me, and it's now turned into the film Christine. Ooh. And, and this very, very, very posh voice is talking to me inside the car, and I'm, I'm, I think, what's that? Jeez, what's, what is it? And what it was, it had got an original Jaguar-fitted His Master's Voice radio Wow! with a big valve amplifier, so you know where I'm going with this. And so it, it still tuned in, because we'd only moved it from four miles, five miles away, it was still tuned in to Radio 4 on the long wave. But it had taken a while for the valve to, to warm up. So, of course, yeah. and in those days, it was quieter and it got louder and louder as the amplifier. So this voice of this, this and, of course, Radio 4 in those days, everybody had a BBC Radio 4 voice, didn't they? Yeah. So the fact that all I could hear is these voices and, and couldn't work out the fact it was the radio. Anyway, I pressed the button. Of course, it wouldn't start because the fuel pump was 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 seized up. So I took the fuel pump apart, took that apart. Do you remember that when you could take things mm. apart? 
and they had points in them, cleaned the points, and it rattled away. Rat, tat, 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 tat. You know, and it pumped, filled the carbs. I love a ticking fuel pump. Well, you know it's working. Yeah, it's and, you, and, and you also know when you're running out because it goes. And you think, oh, and then you drive from side to side trying to get the tank to swill, don't you? Or twin tanks? Would that have had twin tanks? No, no, it had one big tank in it, but it was under the driver's side here, and and so it rattled away. Anyway, I press the button, and there's nothing like pressing a starter button. Is that you can have your key, but love it. It's like a Spitfire or a Hurricane or anything. You want to press that button, don't you? Not a Triumph Spitfire. No, no, it's talking Supermarine, Vickers Armstrong. So we're pressing the button, and, and of course, and it fires up. Oh, what a moment. And the oil pressure gauge goes all the way over to 60. And I drove that car for three years. It was our troop carrier. We used to go down Santa Pod in it. And back to the taxi tyres, I fitted those, but it said not to exceed 60 miles an hour. Well, with my father's angle grinder, the not to exceed 60 miles an hour was ground off the side of them. We, <laughs> we would regularly do sort of 80 with four of us in it because it had two, uh, it was a two plus two being a drop head, uh, three on the front and somebody across the back. And we used to go and watch all the drag racing and often go down the M1 at 80, 90 miles an hour on the taxi tyres. And they never wore out, Steve, those tyres. They were great because, of course, that's they were designed for FX4 taxis. So the rubber was really hard, but it was a cow in the wet, obviously. You can imagine round and roundabout. But, you know, you develop your driving skills. Oh, it drifted well, oh, that. It was stunning. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was really good. Hands crossed. It was great. Right, so... We digress. No, we don't digress. That was a fantastic story. Um, when oh, you... and I sell that. Can I just say I sold that to a uh, world-famous saxophonist who still got it. He turned up on the front cover of Classic Car magazine. He still got it, and I got £4,500 for it, uh, which I started my Classic Car business with. Great. So, so Which that... was exactly the question that I was going to ask you just yep. before you answered the question before I'd even asked it. Yeah. So why why Triumph why TR bits? We um, we started. I started with the Jaguars helping a guy called Ronnie Moss in um, Stockport near the Red Rocks, and he had a, a garage called Maple Corner Garage. Uh, and him and his brother were breaking and doing E-type parts, and because I I was obviously into the E-types and doing them up and. Um, we, we were buying redundant stock from Lex um, uh, and Holling Drakes mm. on the A6. So we should explain that was a big British Leyland uh, group. Jaguar. Retail group. Retail car sales. Now, they in those days, you didn't buy your car parts off the internet. You went and you stood at a counter and there was a guy in a grey coat and a steel ruler in his top left-hand pocket. Smoking a roll-up cigarette in the it corner would. of his mouth. And, and Called big, Bert. The Bert. And there were, there were big brown fingernails and there were big um, parts books and you were given a parts book or a, and uh, they'd modernised it at that point they'd got a thing called a microfiche which was a screen <laughs> and you'd move round the microfiche and then they'd turn it round at you on the counter and go, is that what you want son? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, give us two of those uh, and then he'd go you want a BD613-7 no, no, it's that one on there. All right, a BD4576 and and they would know the part numbers without even looking at it what in the reds. They, they were in. ruthless, those they, guys, they were, weren't they? If you yeah. didn't know what you were talking about, That's you it, were yeah. knackered. You were knackered. And then they'd come back, and then you'd go, you haven't got the uh, the gasket that goes with it, have you? Oh, for crap. And then the guy would turn and go, and you daren't ask him for the other things you needed. You'd have to come back next Saturday for those. Because, Any, because he was not walking up those stillages and those for, for another item. And if you had an exotic, even slightly exotic Italian car... Forget it. What you know, I'm going to say, what you had to do is not ask for that Lancia or Maserati or Alfa Romeo part. No, you'd ask for the Fiat door you, handle. You, that's correct, yeah. yeah you fitted to the Ferrari Dino. You'd, yeah. ask, you'd buy it under the Fiat part number because it would be a third or a quarter of the price, wouldn't it? I had, I had, a, yeah. I had two or three Ducatis and they had numerous Fiat parts on them. And you, but you, so if you got... It was, the same, it was the same with Jaguar. It came in that beautiful red packaging with Jaguar Daimler on it and water va- heater valves and things like that were all made by Wilmot Breeden... They were all, everything was made because people don't understand that car factories make nothing. Car factories assemble things. All the stuff for the British motor industry was made by small jobbing companies employing 10, 20, 50 people in and around Coventry and Dudley and the black country. And 
basically all that stuff was was interchangeable you know from joseph lucas from um all the badges were done um or what were they called now anyway the people who do the enamel badges and everything and they made them for all the different marks and and you could you could you you, you could basically so if you bought it on a morris minor part number it was a quarter of the price of the red yeah. red and black box with jaguar daimler yeah. on it the uh, the headlight and the rear view mirrors and numerous other parts and a early 90s Ducati SS are all Fiat. Mm. Uh, but if you bought them, as you said, in the box with the Ducati symbol on the front, a red box and all that, uh, way, way more than the exact same thing yes. as, as yeah. a Fiat part. Yeah. So you, you you had to know your part numbers or yeah. else Bert behind that counter would, would mock you. Yes. They'd taunt you, those guys, wouldn't they, openly? It, well, the other thing was as well, usually there was a queue on a Saturday morning and... Uh, there's all these hairy uh, motor traders there, and they would love nothing more than humiliate you. You were sport, weren't you, in yeah. front of these guys? Yeah. You know. Well, you were because obviously you got into the game full time. What was the alternative professional route that you were going down? What I was a toolmaker, as right. my father was and my grandfather. So we were motor engineers. So we had a uh, a business in Lim doing crank grinding and reboring and stuff. But my father and my uncles were all trained in the... Um, do you remember Lightbank, Steve, when we had engineering factories in yeah. South Manchester? Absolutely. So Trafford Park, and I did the engineering apprenticeship and then ended up in the drawing office, but I found I could earn more money playing with classic cars on a Saturday and Sunday and evenings and weekends than I could sat behind a drawing board or, or behind a milling machine. I went to buy a larder in Failsworth yeah. a couple of months ago and found a little workshop that over the door was advertising rebores and helicoiling. Yes, and I thought, uh, yeah, great. Great, <laughs> yes. great. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, this was every every town, every city. Manchester, would it, Birmingham, Glasgow, yes. London, Bristol, would have been full of these, as you said, light engineering shops. Do you where, remember, sorry to put in, do you remember, and, and I, I've not seen one for years, in every small village and town, there was a blackboard outside a garage that said welding to MOT standard. To MOT standard, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which really was nothing more than pigeon... Cap, wasn't it? You know, but it was adequate to, to you know to get. In other words, we can get your MOT here when your McPherson strut tops have gone and your inner sills. I mean, now you just don't see rust on cars, do you? You know, but then it was it was endemic. So well, yeah, we had um, a guy in here a few weeks ago called Paul Scanlon, who's a good friend of mine, and he is passionate about larders. Uh, but he has a busy MOT garage in North Manchester and deals with everything. And he said something which I've repeated numerous times. Electronics are the new corrosion. They are corrosion. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, um, uh, I, I had a, a narrowboat. I've sold it now, but I restored it. Vintage, built in Northwich, um, and I was sailing past uh, outside of Nantwich, going up the Langollen Canal, and there's a big scrapyard there called Pacers or Racers, and I, sa- I was sailing past, looking at these stacks of cars, six and seven high. And there wasn't a blister on any of them. And I remember as a kid being crawling under scrapyards with my dad above me. Under, under um, there'd be three Morris Oxfords below me, and a Ford Zephyr and an Anglia. To the, and I'd be holding a spanner while we took starter motor off in this pre-health and safety slidey oily cars that were moving in the wind. You know, and I looked at you know when the rust was everywhere, and I looked at all these cars as I sailed past at four mile an hour, and I couldn't see a single one that we, that we would have thought we'd died and gone to heaven in. 19- 1960s, you know, with with all, you know, look, there's sills and door skins and wings that are intact. You know, mm-hmm. you you can't imagine it now, can you? That it's just thrown away because of of you know an ECU or a, something the size of your wristwatch. You know, and that's how how daft it's become, isn't it? When did you realise? Because I've been down to your place. When did you realise that, as well as a business, you actually had a collection? When does having a few cars and motorbikes about the place become a collection? You, you never know because it's like what does it creep up on you? Yeah, it's like watching your children grow. You don't notice it, or watching your friends grow old. You actually because you. you, you oh, you, we're not old, are we? Yeah. We're still twenty-five, aren't we? No, well, I'm, I suffer from Peter Pan syndrome. I'm a fourteen-year-old trapped in a sixty-one-and-a-half-year-old body. So, uh, yeah, it, um, no, we are. We, we, you don't notice it, and I think things come along. 
And the other thing is, 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 it's the Johnny Cash theory again. I got it one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime because a lot of the stuff I've got, I'll buy an engine and I'll leave it in the corner and then six months later I'll see a gearbox for the same rare mm. item and I'll put that there. And this goes on and I've done that, uh, as a lot of us have done over the years, which is when I'm walking around an auto jumble or I'm on my travels, I'll think, you know what, I've got a chassis that'll go great with that body. And, and you know, we troll eBay at night, men of a certain age, don't we? And you think, you know what, I've got, <laughs> I've got just the bits to make that work. And, and that's what happens. So the jigsaw puzzles, aren't they? That you, so you don't notice it arrives. You know, the wife doesn't notice the fact that it arrives one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime, you know, and it's, it's sort of, it sits there. And I think that's all collectors do that, But don't your collection is all over the place. You like everything. I do. It's, if it's mechanical, I'm, <laughs> it's an illness. <laughs> That's it for another episode of Steve's Speed Shop. The show is repeated here on Fab on Saturdays. And look for the new bike show that's coming to Fab International with my pal, Dave Marsden. I'll be listening and you should be too. See you back here next week for another Speed Shop. <laughs>